Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Power of love. That's a very important subject of the Bible, but it's more than a subject. It's really talking about a person, because you'll discover that God is love. And so really, we would uh, not be doing it justice by saying that we're studying a subject this morning, because in actuality, we are studying a person. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 14, where the Apostle Paul, anointed by the Spirit, prayed a specific prayer for this Spirit-filled church at Ephesus. First, let's pray. Father, it's with great joy and delight we come before your presence to study your word this morning. Give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and minds to be open to it. Father, quicken us according unto your word and change us from glory to glory. Our desire is to walk as doers of your word, not hearers only. Cause your word to be alive, a living thing in our bones, burning like a fire, that we might, dear Father God, be obedient to it and walk in the light of it. And also hold out the word of life to those that are in need about us. Father, I thank you for the anointing upon my lips to proclaim the truth of your word in power and in might that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that's achieved as your word goes forth and does not return to you void. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this cause means it's this, this is the reason why. And sometimes we want to know why we should pray and what we should pray. And he tells us exactly why and what. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, that is the Father, would grant you, that's every spirit-filled believer, grant you what? According to the riches of his glory to be, number one, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You've got the life and nature of God on the inside of you, and so do I. He has deposited within us His very life and nature and ability. But even though it's there, it doesn't mean it can't be strengthened in us. Just like your physical body can be strengthened with exercise, also we can be strengthened in our inner man by His Spirit. And there's a reason why He wants us strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. You'll begin to find out as you study this prayer that Paul prayed that it's progressive. One thing leads to the next. Look at this. He wants us strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell. There's your key word, dwell. Christ is in us, but is He dwelling? Is He living? Is He just there doing nothing, being dormant? A dormant force and presence in your heart, in your life? Or is He alive? Is He living? Is He allowed movement in us and through us? that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It's in the strengthened heart as God strengthens our heart by His Spirit in the inner man that Christ begins to dwell, to live, to abide, to move, to manifest Himself in us by faith. It's all by faith. And then the next step, that you, He's praying for every one of these born-again, spirit-filled believers being rooted and grounded in love. The word there is 
Number 26 in your Strong's Concordance, it's the Greek word agape or agapao, and it means love as God ha is or the divine love of God. It's really a word that shouldn't have been translated, should have been left agape. That way we would know it's something different. In the King James, it states charity so that we know it's something different. Because you see, when you talk about love, you can love all kinds of things. And love in the English language means a multitude of things. I love my dog. I love my wife. Just don't get the two mixed up. Right? Amen. But you're using the same word to describe an emotion that you have or a feeling that you have towards two different creatures or creations. <laughs> So you see, the Greek word agape is talking about a different kind of love. It's a love that's deposited in your heart when you come to know Jesus as your Savior by the Spirit. So it's talking about love that's beyond human love. So He wants that love. He wants that love in our hearts. And He wants us all to be rooted or planted and grounded or built upon that love. Our lives built upon that love. This is the very foundation of our lives. Root system is the most important part of that plan. The foundation is the most important part of that superstructure. And he's talking about every single one of us in our lives. We are to be rooted, planted, and grounded or builded upon love, God's divine love. Why? So that we may be able to comprehend. See, people are saying, I want to, I want to know more. I want to have a deeper, clearer understanding of who God is of His presence and power in my lives, that you may be able. Able means sufficient. Having the ability. Otherwise, you can't be able. We won't be able to understand who He is. We won't know Him clearly. We won't understand Him fully until we begin to become rooted and grounded in divine love. Able to comprehend with all saints. There's not one excluded. Every single one of us needs to walk down the same path. If we want to know God, we have got to know love. And it says right here, rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Notice four things. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height? I like to say it this way. When it comes to the Christmas season, we're specifically talking about two things. The breadth and the length of God's love. When you then get over to the Easter season, you're talking about the depth and the height of God's love. See, the, the breadth and the length perfectly corresponds to John 6, 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So let's just take that apart just for a moment and discuss that. What is the breadth of God's love? God so loved the world is His breadth. This love of God has endless dimensions. His love is for the whole world. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation, every culture, every social group, every race. Doesn't matter what your gender is. Doesn't matter what your social status is. God loves the whole and entire world and that represents the breadth of His love. How far-reaching is His love in you to the world? She to be rooted and grounded in love means I have a world vision. I have compassion for the whole world. 
This love goes beyond my own family. It goes beyond my own church. It goes beyond my locality. And it reaches out to all the people groups of the world. God loves the entire world. He loves the the sinner out there on the street. He loves the beggar there begging for food in the byway of life. He loves all mankind. It doesn't matter if they're in the palace or in the pit. God loves all the world. But then it says, secondly, He gave His only begotten Son. He so loved the world, He shows the length, to what length He would go to demonstrate His love to the whole world. And we call this the incarnation. He gave His only begotten Son. It's the hypostatic union. 100% deity, 100% humanity coming together in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about a God who speaks but doesn't act. He loves all of humanity with a love that goes beyond anything we can comprehend. And to prove it, He Himself became a man. It's like the one king who really loved the people in his domain. So much so that he said he wanted to go and begin to live with them and find out what's going on in their lives. And so he just daily began to pursue all the people in his kingdom. And in some cases, he gave specific gifts, maybe handouts and whatever to the people of his kingdom. And one day he got to some lowly man who lived in a cellar. And in that cellar, he went down and visited with him. And at that time, he didn't really have anything for him. But he sat with him. He ate with him. And the things that he had to eat were not really all that, you know, good. Nothing that the king was used to, of course. And finally, when it came time for his departure, he said, I don't really have anything at this point to give you. And he said, okay. These others, you've given this and you've given that and you've given all these other things. He says, but you came to my house in this cellar, in this low place. You sat with me. You ate with me with whatever I had to give you. You gave me the greatest of all gifts. You gave me yourself. And you see, God gave Himself when He gave His Son. He loves the world and He proved His love to the world by giving His only begotten Son. And so He gave us Jesus. And that is to what length? To what length would God go to demonstrate His love? He that created the world became a part of His own creation. It's like the painter becoming a part of His own handiwork. He left the glory world behind and came to this world, put on flesh, and walked as a mere man upon this earth, although he was 100% God and man. But that demonstrates, and there's not time to get into it in full detail, the love of God in its length. And then we have the next two. God wants us to understand the breadth of His love. He wants us to understand the length of His love, the incarnation. But then He goes in to say, the depth and the height of His love. What is the depth of His love? That whosoever believes in Him should not perish is the depth of His love. To what depth would God go to demonstrate His love for mankind, for the whole world, for every being on the planet? And it's very simple. It's to the depth of becoming sin for us who knew no sin. And it takes our looking into what that means when Jesus became sin and He suffered for our sin. He suffered what Adam should have suffered from the beginning and what every single one of us should have suffered in all of our, throughout all of our lives, He suffered Himself for us. And that demonstrates, excuse me, the, the actual depth of His love for the whole world. Study it out. 
for yourself and you'll discover you'll be changed on the inside when you discover its true meaning. But then there's the fourth dimension and that's the height of His love. Why does God want me to understand these dimensions of His love? You'll see in a moment. But the height of His love is represented in the resurrection. And that's why when we talk about Easter, we talk about the death and the resurrection. His becoming sin and then being raised from the dead. The height of His love is this. When God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says we were raised with Him. He didn't just raise us up to a quality of life, a shade above what we had before He died for us. He didn't raise us up to a lesser quality of life than an angelic being. I don't know that our hearts and minds can fathom all this. But the Bible says He raised us up together with Him and made us sit together with Him in the high heavenly places in Christ Jesus and we are partakers of His divine nature. He has given us His life. We have Zoe, which is life as God has it. So when He raised us up, the height of His love is revealed in the fact He gave us His very life and we are partakers of life as God has it. Boy, it takes some study to figure that one out. But think about it. You've got life in you, Zoe, as God has it. This hope of glory is the life of God, the divine nature of God in you. Now, those are the four dimensions of God's love. And why does God want us to be aware of them? Because look at the next part of the verse. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ. The word know is a word that means Depth of knowledge. It's coming into a deeper understanding of a truth. To know it is more than just to become acquainted with it. You can know someone for a moment because someone introduced you to that person. But if you live with that person for ten years, you will know that person a whole lot better. And that's what this is talking about. If you really want to know God, if you want to know the love of God, Study out these four dimensions of God's love. They're endless dimensions of God's love. And you will know the love of Christ. You'll come into an understanding of the love of God, the love of Christ, beyond anything you've comprehended ever before. And He wants you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. See, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies or builds up. When I understand that love is the motivating force behind all the activity of God, and I am the target of His love. I am the object of His love. And all that He has done is because He loves me. I hear a lot of preachers preaching about how God is so angry with them. Especially the lost. He's so angry with the lost. No, He's not. He's reconciled the lost to Himself. He's already suffered and died for the lost. He loves the lost. He wants the lost sinner to come home and be a child of His. That you, look at the latter part of verse 19, that you, everybody say that I, that you might be filled, that say it with me, that I might be filled with all the fullness of God. See, with all the fullness of God. Anybody want to be filled with all the fullness of God? What is He revealing to us? It's through the understanding of the love that God has for us. It's through walking through these dimensions of God's love and knowing the love of Christ and experiencing the love of Christ that even though we're born again and we have the life of God in us, 
there is still a way that we can be filled with all of the fullness of God. The, the infinite fullness of who God is. And I don't know that I have to fully understand it to say I want it. I want filled with all the fullness of God. And the only way that's offered to me is through a clear understanding of the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And then look at the next verse. Everybody say now. Not before, but now. See, now means when all this is understood. See, oftentimes we'll take a verse of Scripture, and we've all been guilty of it. And because we want to let somebody know the promises of God, we'll just isolate that one Scripture and just say, Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, etc., etc. And we just pull it out of its context and setting and just say, See, God wants to do a whole lot for you. But really, in its setting... This verse is saying this. Because you are strengthened with might by His Spirit in in your inner man. Because Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith. Because you are rooted and grounded in love. You're able to comprehend with all saints the depth, the length, the breadth, the height of God's love. You are being filled now with all the fullness of God. And now God is able to do for you exceeding abundantly. Above all you ask, above all you think. How? According to the, the miracle working power. That word there is dunamis. According to the dunamis, the dynamic power and ability of the living God that's efficiently active. active. The word worketh there means efficiently active in you. Not lying dormant, but efficiently active. Anybody here want God to do for you exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think? It's done according to the miracle power of God that's been unleashed or activated in you as you are strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man. As Christ dwells in your heart by faith. He's not just hitching a ride through life doing nothing. He is leading you, guiding you, directing you, and walking in you. He is coursing through your life. And you come to know these dimensions of God's love. And your whole life is consumed with love. You're so filled with God's love, so full of God's love that His love and His compassion becomes the motivating force of your life. I want you to see something. Then God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according unto the miracle power that's officially active in you. Look at um, 1 John chapter 4, if you would, please. When you study love, you're not studying a subject, you're studying a person. When we study love, we're studying God because in 1 John 4, 7, we understand that by what degree we know love is by what degree we know God. And by what degree we manifest love is by what degree we manifest God. Look at verse 7 and 8 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Again, divine love. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Everyone that loveth is born of God, and notice the word knoweth, knoweth. You can be born of God and not really know Him. Because if you're walking in selfishness, if we're walking in pride, if we're living a life that does not give place to the love of God, then we don't really, really know God, even though we are born of God. If I'm using people for my advantage... If I'm trying to climb the ladder of success by stepping on other people beneath me, 
then you know what? I'm not operating in the laws of God, in the principles of God. Jesus was a servant. He was lifted to the highest place in all the universe, was He not? But first, He went to the lowest place in all the universe. He didn't climb the ladder of success by using people. He climbed the ladder of success by serving people. Love serves. And we've all been called to serve one another. Everyone that loves, everyone that manifests this love of God, this person not only is born of God, but this person actually knows God. Verse 8, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Now here it is, for God is love. Not God has love, but God is love. Since God is love, then love is not a subject. Love is a person. And you can insert love everywhere you see God and not change the context. God is love. And every single one of us is to be rooted and grounded in what? Works? No. In what? Love. And then he goes on to talk about the manifestation of this love of God. But go on down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love. Now here it is. He that dwelleth in love. He that just pours his life into love. Dwells in God. And God dwells in Him. You talk about a standard. You talk about a challenge to all of our lives. People are crying out every day, I want more knowledge, I want more knowledge, I want more knowledge, I want more knowledge, I want to walk in the fullness of the knowledge of God. Well, you, you need to know love. You've got to find the sinner on the street and love him with passion. That person at work that you cannot stand to be around or tolerate because their personality is just conflicting to yours. God loves with a serious love that went to the cross for that person that you can't stand. See, let's gauge ourselves by whether or not this kind of love is the motivating force behind all of our activities in life and ministry. He that dwells in love dwells in God. And God dwells in Him. I like that, don't you? See, this faith walk is a powerful walk. But you know what? Going back to 1 Corinthians 13, faith works by what? Faith is energized by what? What is the force behind faith? You see, love... Makes it all work. Love is a powerful force. The power of love. The power of God's love will change a life forever. The power of love is what sent Jesus to the earth. The power of love covers the multitude of sins. The power of love does so much. And we'll see some of these things, but look at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, it went on to say in 1 John 4 that love casts out all fear. I want to get back to that in a minute, but I want, I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not... That, there's that word charity, which is agape, which is divine love. I am becoming, become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Three things there he's talking about. You can have such eloquence and such 
oratorical skills and such knowledge of languages that you can master all the languages of men and all the languages of angels and tongues and everything else. But if love is not the motivation of the heart, when you speak out in all these languages, no matter how wonderful you speak, guess what? You're making a lot of noise. He goes on to say, if you have faith that removes mountains, and I mean you can absolutely remove mountains by your faith, you've got mountain-moving faith, but if you have not love, you are nothing, it says, or you're a nobody. What an indictment. But then he goes on to say something that really should catch all of our attention. If you give to the poor of your resources, and then ultimately you give your body to be burned at the stake, what more can you give but your own physical body? That is your prized possession that attaches you to this earth. And you can give it and lay it down like so many do. You know, in in all kinds of uh, religious practices, there are those that are, they beat themselves, they whip themselves, they lacerate themselves, all for the sake of gaining some kind of higher power with deity. You can lay down this flesh, this body, but you know what? If love is not the motivating force behind our giving, the sacrifice of our flesh, our speaking, and our doing, write it down. We're a nobody making a lot of noise to no profit. It profits me nothing. I don't want to be a nobody making a lot of noise to no profit. But brother, you should hear the language. You should hear the words. These are 75 cent words. This person is eloquent. You know, Paul said, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. But oh, they could just move you to tears. You know, anybody can move you to tears. What's the motive behind the heart? What is the motive? Love is to be the motivating force behind all the activity of our lives. And it's not our love. It's the love of God. God's divine love is to motivate me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. We can stop right there and meddle for ages. I challenge us today to evaluate our hearts and our lives to determine whether or not divine love is the true motivation behind all of what we do. Go on down to the end to verse 13 of this chapter. And now abides... Faith, hope, and charity or love. These are three powerful forces. The greatest of which is love or charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Love or hope rather is a powerful force. It is a motivating force. While I'm saying this, turn back to 1 John if you would please chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Love or hope rather is a, a powerful force. It is a force that motivates people. And if you as a child of God have a blessed hope, how many of you have a hope that one day you'll see Jesus in the clouds of glory? That's your blessed hope. But how many of you have a hope that when He appears, you appear to be like Him? You are looking for His coming and waiting for your changing. 
Well, look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And every man that hath this what in him? This what in him? This what in him? What hope? Well, look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doesn't yet appear we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Anybody have this hope? I said, anybody have this hope? You know, part of our redemption is looking to the future events. Revealed to us in Scripture, He's come. someone says, why are you loving your wife like that? Because He's coming again in glory. And when, I, when He comes, I want to see Him as He is and be just like Him. Why are you treating people like that at work that are just spouting off against you and saying all these things about you? Because I have a hope that when He comes again, I am heavenly minded. I am spiritually minded. I'm conducting myself in such a way that it seems as though people are walking all over me. Why? Because He's coming again. And I have a blessed hope. And when I see Him, praise God, I know I'm going to be just like Him. Do you see that? He that has this hope in Him, what does He do? He purifies Himself even as He is pure. Hope is a motivating force. It motivates us to act Right. Because I want to see Him like that. So hope's a powerful force, but not the most powerful force. Faith, He said, is the second force. It's a powerful force. By faith, the crea- God created all the worlds that we see. By faith, God spoke everything into existence. And everything in existence is upheld by the word of His power. Do you know why the waters of the ocean do not pass over the sand along the seashore? Because of a perpetual decree, when God spoke and says, you shall not pass over these bounds, the sand along the seashore is not powerful enough to hold back the mighty waters of the ocean. And even when gale force winds come, and there's hurricanes coming and all that, they may violate the decree of God, but the sand knows you got to go back. Got to go back. Got to go back. Right? Because God spoke and said, you shall not pass over these waters. The waters will not pass over the sand. It's by an unseen decree of God. It's called faith. He spoke all things into existence. He upholds all things by the word of His power. All things are upheld, sustained, maintained, and propelled by the word of God's power. Every created force. We're talking about the force of faith now. Powerful, powerful force. But it's not the greatest force in all the world. The greatest of these is what? Love, love, love is the most powerful force. God is love. And if God is love, and I operate in love, I operate in God. Now go back to chapter 4 there just for a second. And look at verse 18. No, verse 17. Now, 16 talked about if we dwell in love, we're dwelling in God. Here it is, love made perfect or love matured. You talk about love being a powerful force. Now, I don't know where you're at in life, but I know where I'm at. And I know where I want to be. In verse 17, the power of love is this. It gives us confidence to stand before the judgment seat of Christ when we are judged by fire on that day. Here it is, our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. How many of you know that one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to determine our works, whether they be good or And those that are bad, wood, hay, and stubble, we burn up by the fire of God, but gold, silver, and precious stones, the things that we've done motivated by love, will abide forever and will receive our rewards. 
Now, any of you want to have a bonfire in, when you're in the presence of God? I don't think so. Do you want all your works to burn up? Mm-mm. See, there's two things that, that make you comfortable on Judgment Day. When the secrets of all men's hearts will be revealed. When we'll be judged by the, for the works that we've done in the body, whether it be good or evil. First of all, how many know we're going to do this? One day. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But listen to this. Under the merciful, he shows himself merciful. And if you judge not, you will not be judged. And then, secondly, here, if everything you do is motivated by love, you'll have confidence to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Boldness. Because you know that your works are not going to burn up by fire. Examine the heart and say, is this what love would do? Am I acting out of love? Is love behind what I'm telling this brother? Did you realize the Bible says that we speak the truth in what? And that it's love that promotes our spiritual growth and development? But brother, I nailed him. I told him exactly how it was. And even if he didn't want to hear it, I told him exactly what it was like. And you gave him the letter of the law. And raked him over the coals. You beat him with the word. But listen. The Bible says we speak the truth in what? Love. What's the motivating force behind our speaking truth? Love. It is the love of God. See? Listen. That promotes our, devo- our development and growth in God. And speaking the truth in love makes the truth not only to appear Good, but desirable. See, if my motive is not through the love of God to influence you to do right, but just to show you how wrong you are, I didn't make the truth attractive to you. Not at all. I made it unattractive to you. But beloved, if I'm telling you something because I love you so much and God's love is moving me to do so, and it's truth, and love is behind it all, you're going to know that. And I believe that this should really enable people that preach the Word, whether you're a minister or a layperson out there ministering to someone, to better understand how you can make truth attractive to those that are out there and they're lost and dying in their sins. Look at the next verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in faith. Huh? He that fears is not made perfect in what? Are you afraid? See, if there's a fear, are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of being in debt? Are you afraid that your child's going to be lost to the world? Is fear gripping your heart? Is fear gripping your life? Well, if it is, listen carefully. He that feareth, and I'm not saying this, this world offers many fears to our lives. There are people that are terrified to fly right now. There are people that are terrified to come out of their houses right now. There are people that are terrified to go to the mailbox right now. 
There are people that are afraid to raise up or rear up children in society today. They're afraid of what their kids are going to do. They're afraid of this and they're afraid of that. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He that feareth not is made perfect in love. What is that saying? We need to really sit back and absorb the love that God has for us. We need to review these dimensions of God's love and begin to recognize that we are the object of His love. Anything you desire, God desires more for you. No one desires your children to be in His kingdom more than He does. No one desires your health and well-being more than He does. See, God's love for us as individuals has got to be developed. We've got to mature in love. And when we are, it will eradicate. You talk about the power of love. You find someone who says, I'm not afraid anymore. Someone says, why? Look what's going on around you. Because He loves me and I know it. I know it. I'm not afraid for my child anymore. Why? Because He loves us. And I know it. God's love is just poured out to me and to my life. And I know it. It will eradicate all our fears. Eliminate all these fears that we encounter in life. Now faith, of course, makes love work. And faith works by love. If we're going to walk by our selfishness, if we're going to walk by what our flesh dictates to us, then love won't prevail. Oh, there's so much more to say. I guess I better get on it tonight. Can I close with one more text in Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 and and Ephesians 2. You can't let... I can't leave out my most wonderful scripture. Man. All right. Do I have to choose between the one or the other? Oh, hallelujah. You know, the Lord just spoke to my heart about this is really love. You know, people say in the world that February is love month. No, it's not. December is love month. It's a time that we are mindful or reminded of the greatest demonstration of love that has ever touched this realm. Uh, Kenyon said that Jesus was love's intrusion into a world of, of selfishness. And that Hate is not the opposite of love. Selfishness is. See, if you think that hate is, you can go on being selfish and then you won't even develop in love at all and think that, you know, I'm not, I don't hate anybody, so I must be developed in love. No. Selfishness is the opposite of love. God so loved. You realize it was love that sent Jesus? Let's put it this way. If Jesus is God and God is love, and guess what? Love left the glory world and became a man. Love was manifested in the flesh. It was love that healed the sick. It was love that cleansed the lepers. It was love that raised the dead. It was love that fed the multitudes. It was love that spoke like no man ever spoke. It was love that went to the cross. It was love that suffered and died. It was love that paid the price. It was love that rose again. It was love that sent the Holy Spirit. It is love that recreates our lives. Because God is love. 
And you see, it's time to major in the majors in our lives. It's love that enables us, empowers us to bless our enemies and do good to those that hate us and pray for those. We have yet to pass the acid test of love until we begin to truly love our enemies. I know this is not one of your uplifting messages that says, hey, let's go practice what the preacher is talking about. But listen to me. Do you want to know God? Do we want to experience God? Do we want His healing power? Do we want His health? Do we want life-changing abilities manifested through our lives? Do we want to grow in God? Then we've got to major in love. God is love. And when God is dwelling in me, love is dwelling in me. And I'm dwelling in God and I'm dwelling in love. See, that's what it's all about. And you can start with yourself. You can start with your wife. You can start in your home. But you never arrive anywhere until you start loving your enemies. And that's what Romans 5 is talking about. Romans 5 says, Romans 5, did you find that yet? Romans 5 says, look at verse 5, beginning at verse 5. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Say, I have the love of God in my heart by the Holy Spirit which is given to me. Now look at this in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the elite people groups of the world. Oh. Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. The ungodly. You know, a lot of Christians don't want to associate with the ungodly. Jesus came and sat with sinners. He ate with prostitutes. Amen. That bag lady on the street, we don't want contaminated. But I'll tell you something. God loves that person as much as He loves you and everybody else. And Jesus shed His blood for that bag lady on the street. And every degenerate and low person in life, He shed His blood for. When we were ungodly... Okay, then it goes on to say, verse 7, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God introduced... His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ... When, what, what were we? We were what? And that's when He died for us. Listen, much more. Much more than. Much more. I love those words. How much more and much more. Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. If we were... If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. When did God introduce His love to us? When I was a sinner. The sinner doesn't need to be told he's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner. The sinner needs to be told he's been reconciled. And that the God of the universe loves him. And has died for him. And longs to have his fellowship. Yes, in their lowest state, doesn't matter what they've done in life, what they look like in life, 
He came to save sinners. And here's that verse in Ephesians 2, 4. And this is the Amplified Bible. But God, so rich is He in His mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which He loved us. You realize that redemption was to satisfy the great, intense, overwhelming love that God had for man and that God could never be satisfied. God could never be fulfilled. God could never be complete until He loved you to death. You know, you can actually say that He loved me to death. God just loves me to death. He truly truly does. Well, beloved, if God is love and this sacrifice of His Son is the, the greatest working of God and that's love, we owe it to Him. I don't even know if we can go there. We love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we've been told... John 3.16 says God loved the world. 1 John 3.16 says we owe it to Him to love one another. You know, it's only love that enables you to lay down your life as a sacrifice for somebody else. Husband, stand up. I want to challenge all of us. Notice I'm standing. You and I have been clearly instructed in the Word of God to love our wives as, even as, Christ loved the church. Ladies, this will cost you a dime at the door. (laughs) Say with me, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Who you who you love like Christ loved the church? You've been told to love sinners. We've been told to love our enemies. Listen to this. You've been told to do good to your enemy. You've been told to bless your enemy. You've been told to speak well of your enemy. Speak well. Do good to. Pray for your what? Your enemy. Someone said my wife. Your what? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. You've been told to do good to your enemy, to pray for your enemy that persecutes you, and speak well of. Someone says, I wonder why I'm not growing in God. How do you talk about your wife? Oh, I know. I used to work in some places where I don't know if the wife had horns and a long tail and had a red suit on. But most men, you know how they talk about their wives, about that old thing? And they... they They talk horrible about their wives. 
horrible about their wives. Even Christian men don't have a lot of good things to say about their wives. But you've been told to talk good about your enemy. You've been instructed and commanded by God to pray for your enemy. And are you praying for your wife? And you've been instructed to do good, to do good, to do to your enemy. Walking in love opens up the door to revelation. It opens up the door to God's manifesting Himself in our lives. And if it can't, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That neighbor starts with the one that you are married to. What a mandate. What a mandate to love your wife as Christ. Christ. Do we even know how Christ loved the church? Well, it says how. He gave Himself for it. Laid down His life for it. Conducted Himself in an honorable manner for the church. Walked in integrity. We're going to talk about walking in integrity for the church to nourish it, cherish it, care for it, provide for it. I'm telling you, Jesus is sold out to the church. He ever lives for the church, to love the church. This is a picture of our relationship. This marriage is a picture of our relationship with Christ's relationship with the church. And men, we have all been instructed by Almighty God through His Word to love our wives in the same way that God or Jesus loved the church when He laid on His life and gave His life for the church. I believe if we'll start doing what He said, do, you're going to have a revelation of love. You're going to have a revelation of God. Start with even our wives. But then, like I said, let's go down to our enemies. Love is a powerful force. It'll cover the multitude of sins. It'll cast out all fear. It'll enable you to serve others. See, you won't serve others truly until you understand love. Can I go one step further? You know, the Apostle Paul loved his brethren so much. Hard to relate to this. He said, I wish I was a curse from God for your salvation. I wish I could be a curse from God so you could be saved. See, one thing about the faith message, beloved, and I love the faith message because it has just blessed my life so much. But if we're not careful, our giving is motivated by our getting. Our wanting to see a miracle is so that we can say, I was part of a miracle. Or God used me. Oh, no, 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 I pray. I've never given you that understanding of what it's all about. You do those things because you love people sincerely. You love God so much. You give because you see a need. You see that person that can't put food on his table. You see those kids that don't have a winter coat. You don't give because, man, I'm going to get, let's count it right now. You want to do yourself a favor? Read Brother Hagin's new book, The Mightiest Touch, where he expounds on the hundredfold return. And I know this is stepping on some toes. And I don't like to do that. I don't know why we're going in this direction this morning, but we're going in this direction this morning. You realize that, that in that book he talks about how if the hundredfold return were true, really true, with only seven times one dollar... You sow $1 seven times and get a hundredfold return, you'll have a trillion dollar return. Trillions. Proof. 
Take one dollar, sell it, get a hundredfold return is how many? Hundredfold return, hundred times one is a hundred. One time. So the hundred dollars, multiply a hundred times a hundred dollars, what do you get? Ten thousand dollars? Ten thousand dollars. Now take the whole ten thousand, so this is your third time. A hundred times ten is what? A million dollars? hundred times ten thousand? Just keep it going to the seventh time. You do it seven times, you have a trillion dollars. Anybody want to do it with me? It doesn't work. No one has ever got a hundredfold return in that regard, in that way. We've got to get our minds off of getting and get our minds on giving. Men, do you give your wife a nice home? Do you give her nice clothes? Do you give her good food to eat? You can give her a nice car to drive in. You can give her a ton of things in the material world. You've given her nothing until you've given her yourself. Those are things you do for her. Giving yourself is something you do to her. Looking her in the eyes and saying, I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving you my heart, my soul. I'm giving you my attention. I'm giving you myself. I live for you. To lay down my life for you as Christ laid down his life for the church. To love you. I'm starting right here with you. Because if I can't do it for you, who can I do it for? Anybody want to join with me in this challenge? To really allow love to be the motivating force in our lives, behind all of our activities? Nobody. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.